Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Okay. Good morning, Downtown Hope. These stories are so incredible that the Lord's doing through this body in this time. I wish you were able to be in the space with us as we record these each Wednesday. It's such a sweet thing that's happening with our team, and we miss you so much. We can't wait for the time, if you're watching this online and you're unable to gather with us in person, uh, to be together in person. Um, This morning, as Colin mentioned, we're continuing our series, Into the Wild, our study through the book of Numbers. And actually, uh, David's going to be wrapping up this series uh, next week, and then we're going to go into three weeks uh, where we're going to be in a series called Unveiled Faces. Uh, and we're just so excited to see, uh, to continue in the summer together. Uh, as many of you know, we have a great resource called The Daily. It's a way for us uh, as a church to be in the Word, to just to soak and saturate um, in this beautiful living Word. We have uh, incredible men and women who contribute to that. It's an email in your inbox Monday through Friday. We'd love uh, for you to engage with us in that. We'd love to challenge you if you don't have another reading plan that you're doing. Jump in with us and we're reading uh, right through numbers and it's been a wild ride. Uh, and this morning our, uh, we come to numbers chapter 22. I want to read the first Uh, seven verses, and then we're going to spend the next few minutes walking and looking over chapters 22, 23, and 24, which is one broad narrative in a way. It's where the book comes to uh, one one of its final climaxes. So let me read Numbers chapter 22, one through seven over us here, and then we're going to walk right through it together. Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse one. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that Israel had done what Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was in great dread of the people, because Israel were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel, and Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him saying, so here's the king calling a sorcerer, a witch doctor, and this is what he says here uh, in verse uh, verse 5, behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now. Curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that, uh, that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and asked and gave him Balak's message. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage as we look at these next few chapters in this incredible narrative. We're asking that wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether we've been following you for years, whether for the first time we're hearing of your gospel, of your word, of your message, 
Lord, whether we are far from you, whether we feel close to you, Lord, whether we're in our homes or whether we're on the road, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would meet each person who watches this gathering and that you would change us. Lord, thank you for the truth of this dynamic, living, activated word for our hearts, Lord. It has the power to transform our lives. And so would you do that now? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the account picks up this morning if you've been following with us after a long 40 years for the nation of Israel. Uh, if you remember all the way back, through, uh, back to Exodus, the nation came up out of bondage in Egypt uh, they landed at the base of Mount Sinai for a year. They're given this new ethical code to live by, the Torah, the law. Uh, they're given uh, instructions on how to worship through the tabernacle, which would be a, kind of a precursor to the temple in the future. And then in the book of Numbers, uh, which translates, as we know, into the wild, that's where they're headed, into the wild. But Numbers picks up and they learn how their lives are to be oriented with God and his tabernacle at the center. And then in chapter 10, there's this moment of anticipation where Israel leaves Sinai and they go out. And then what happens after that? We've been in this for the last several weeks. There is complaining, there's grumbling, there's rebellion. It's a cycle over and over again. In chapter 10, or sorry, in chapter 11, we find the people's first complaint. Then in chapter 12, there's rebellion within the leadership as Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses. Then in chapter 14, uh, as we looked at a few weeks back, there's rebellion after the spies report of the land that they're to occupy. Then in chapter 16, uh, there's Korah's rebellion. And then at the, after that, the people are complaining that, um, that Moses is killing people. And then in chapter 20, uh, uh, Moses rebels himself, strikes a rock, disobeys God, and then himself is not permitted to enter into the promised land. And then last week, Colin did a beautiful job walking us through chapter 21, where the people again are speaking against God and Moses and are bitten by serpents. And so it has been a long 40 years of Israel living in complaining and rebellion in the wilderness. And maybe that's been your experience in this last season. I think we can all uh, say it's been a wilderness of a time period. And here it is in Numbers chapter 22 that this worn and torn nation comes into the valley of Moab. And there is this king named Balak. And he is scared to death of Israel because he's concerned there's so many they are going to take over his nation. And he's so scared that he pays. This is what he does. This is what a king would do in his day. He pays a seer or a pagan sorcerer, you might call him a witch doctor, named Balaam to put a curse on the nation of Israel. And actually, it's pretty amazing. In 1967 in Jordan, there was actually an inscription that refers to this same Balaam. It's just another point of historical evidence that points us to the validity and the trustworthiness of this word. It actually, on that inscription that was discovered in 1967, describes Balaam, the son of Beor, the same way that he's described here in Scripture. And now, here is Israel in this valley. And here is this king who has hired this, this sorcerer to curse the nation. And if I am the Lord in this moment, if I'm honest, and maybe you could be honest with me here, I might be tempted to say, Balaam, why don't you just go for it? <laughs> because they totally deserve it. The last 40 years have been filled with nothing but complaining and rebellion. Just go do your thing. 
because they have been nothing but a thorn in my side, perhaps the Lord felt or thought. A rebellious, complaining, ungrateful, disobedient people. Just give them what they deserve. In the middle of COVID, a few months ago, I was driving, and I had COVID brain, and I rear-ended the guy in front of me. I mean, he stopped at the light. It wasn't his fault. It was 100% my fault, and I just rear-ended this guy. And if you see my pilot, you see my license plate, it's all bent up. People keep asking me what happened. Well, for everybody who's watching, this is what happened. And I rear-ended him, and so I stopped. I got out of the car. He got out of the car, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy has every right to curse me out. I mean, he's probably ticked off, and he's just going to yell at me. And I walk out of the car, and he walks out of the car, and I'll say, this guy, I mean, he, he was a pretty tough-looking guy. And so I was even a little bit more scared because, you know, I was like, I don't know what's going to go down here. But he looked at me, and he comes over to my car, and he looks at my car, and then he looks at his car, and then he looks at my car, and then he looks at his car, and I'm like, what is he going to say? And he says, you good? I was like, I'm good. <laughs> and he said, I'm good. And he walked back in his car and he drove away. <laughs> Have you ever been in this situation where the thing that you deserved is you, you found yourself in this little valley where the thing that you deserve was actually to be yelled at or to be cursed at or to be, you know, berated upon? There was a, a person this last week, someone I love dearly, who sent me a text and they said I had hurt them. And immediately, you know, it was the opposite situation. I'm like, nope. I'm not going to take your ungrateful, complaining attitude. I wanted to respond with hurtful words. I wanted to respond with cursing. And I had this overwhelming desire in my heart to say, I hope this person learns their lesson. I hope they get what they deserve. And do you get this? I mean, maybe you've been in a situation like the little car fender bender I was in, or maybe there's been somebody who's been a thorn in your side who's just been irritating you and frustrating you in this season. And when we're in the wilderness, that neighbor or that friend or that person or that coworker or that child who just keeps, and you can fill in the blank, and then the moment comes where they might get the natural consequences for what they deserve for acting so crazy or acting so mean or acting so, uh, so out there. And secretly, you might be like, yes. I mean, maybe that's what the Lord was feeling about the nation of Israel. Maybe you're like, yes, I told you so. That's exactly what you deserve. You see them in the valley and you're like, you, you deserve that. The truth is somebody's actually saying that about you right now, so don't get too excited. And yet in this passage, as the nation of Israel finds herself in the pain of the valley, 40 years of wandering and struggling, deserving the consequences of her rebellion, unbeknownst to her, something extraordinary is unfolding in the hills above through a pagan sorcerer. Some, something that gives us one of the most astonishing pictures of God's love and his loving pursuit of us, even in our rebellious state. What happens in the hills of this account that unfolds into the valley that Israel found herself in? And this thrusts us into the next two chapters. Chapter 22, verse 41. In the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up, that's into the hills. From there, he saw a fraction of, of the people. And so here the king is bringing this sorcerer into the hills 
to curse Israel. And this is what unfolds. And we're going to look at three messages that Balaam uh, relays back to Balak that God actually uses this, this totally out there, you know, sorcerer who ha- who, who, uh, whose very job, whose very vocation is not to listen to God, and yet he hears from God. God causes him to hear from him in this moment. Here's what happens in the first oracle. Balak builds seven altars. Balaam tells Balak, the, the sorcerer tells the king to build these seven altars, lay out seven sacrifices of bulls and seven rams. And then he goes out up uh, away from Balak, away from the king uh, to do his witch doctor thing. And he comes back to Balak. And this is his first message back to Balak. This is, this is when Balak has said, hey, please go and curse Israel. This is what he comes back and says. From Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. Here's what he says. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like this. What is he saying? He's saying, I cannot curse Israel. I can't curse them because they are special. They are set apart by another. They are set apart by the king of all, the king of the universe, God himself, the Lord, Yahweh. They are God's special possession is what he's saying. My curse won't work on them. There is an, there's an entity greater than the witchcraft I dabble in, says Balaam, that has no power to curse them. In fact, he says they're so special, this, this, this nation, he's seeing what God's seeing, this nation is so special that, that I wish I could be counted among them, says the, the pagan sorcerer in verse 10. Balak wanted, the king wanted Israel to be weakened, isolated so he could conquer them. But Balaam says, no, they're set apart, not on their own. They are not on their own. They are God's special, set apart, holy possession. Even in their rebellion, God sees them in this light. And this just ticks Balak off. I mean, the king is frustrated He said, this wasn't the plan. Okay, let's try this again. So they reset and he says, let me bring you somewhere else, okay? So they go to a different part of the hills and and Balaam tells Balak to build seven more altars and seven more bulls and and make make sacrifices of seven more rams. And then Balaam goes away by himself to do the witch doctor thing and he comes back and this is what he says the second time. Listen to this. The oracle... Sorry, rise. Here's what he says in verse 18. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me. O son of Zippor, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken, will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. That's verse 21 of chapter 23. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, 
Balak, King Balak, what we're dealing with here is the living God. What we're dealing with here is Yahweh. And not only has he said, this nation is his prized possession, but here in the second oracle, he's saying, actually, God is with them. He is present with them. Balak wanted them to be weakened alone so he could conquer them. But Balaam says, no, actually, the very presence of God is with them. That's verse 21. The Lord, their God, is with them. And the shout of a king, that's referring, God referring to himself, is among them. That's the second message. First, that Israel is his possession. Secondly, that God is, there, is present with Israel. And this enrages Balak the king. He's like, this is not what I hired you for. This is not why I hired a sorcerer. I hired the sorcerer to curse this nation. And yet that's not what you're doing. And so he says, let's go. Let's try this one last time. So he takes him to a third hill. He takes him to a third place to look down upon the valley and to see Israel below. And Balak again, he says, uh, Balaam tells Balak again, go build seven altars, do more sacrifices, sit there by your sacrifices. So Balaam goes to do his witch doctor thing again. But this time he doesn't do it. It's as if he can't do it. Instead, something happens. And listen to this in chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens. So he didn't do his witch doctor thing, but set his face towards the wilderness. And, and so here we are, and here is this nation, broken, rebellious, struggling for 40 years. And Balaam, verse 2, lifts his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and then the most incredible thing happens. We make all kinds of rules up about God, what he can and can't do. But listen to what God does in this moment. The Spirit of God came upon Balaam and he took up his discourse. That's he's taking up his third message or his third, third oracle here. And here's what he says. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle, and listen to how he describes himself, of a man whose eyes have been opened, of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. And here's what he utters. He sees Israel in her broken state, and he's seeing what God sees when he looks at his people. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees besides the waters. If I were God, there's not a chance I would describe Israel in that way. There's not a chance when I looked at Israel, I would have a vision of them like that. The only thing I would see when I looked at Israel in this moment after 40 years is a people who are rebellious and instead, God does the absolute unthinkable. He takes a pagan sorcerer who's been paid to curse Israel, and instead of cursing them three times, he does something else. What does Balaam do? What does God do through Balaam? What does he proclaim over this nation? What unfolds here in what was supposed to be the cursing hills? We find it all through this passage. We actually find it all through the story of the nation of Israel. It's the word blessing. 
It's in verse 11. It's in verse 20. It's right here in chapter 24. Blessed, blessing is what Balaam speaks over the nation of Israel. This word bless in Hebrew is barak. It means to kneel or to salute or to bow or to, or, or to adore, to empower someone to reach the fullness of their potential. It's, it's this picture of just the full blessing, the full full uh, joy, the full overflowing of all of the gifts of God pouring out. It's the same word in Hebrew used in Genesis chapter 12 when God first made the promise to Abram. It's also, by the way, the same word used back in Numbers chapter 6. I know she did a great job in this message where the Lord actually gives Aaron a, pray to, a prayer to pray over the nation. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. If you remember this, three times Balak and Balaam go up to the hills for curses to come down on Israel. And every time, instead of a curse, Israel receives a blessing. This is such a significant moment in the story of Israel. This is such a significant moment in the, in the story that in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and Joshua 24 and even Nehemiah years later would refer to this. Uh, he says, um, instead of cursing the Lord your God, turn the curse into a blessing for you. In Joshua chapter 24 verse 10, uh, the Lord in the first person says, I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Nehemiah recounts God turning the curse into a blessing. Balaam can only utter blessings, not curses. And this is an incredible moment and gives us incredible hope, but there's only one problem with this entire story. There's a huge problem. If you're reading this and, and maybe you have a Hebrew background or you're reading the scripture, you're like, this doesn't actually make sense with what the Bible declares as blessing and curses. So let me just say it really simply. In Deuteronomy chapter 26 through 28, we find the Lord giving this command to the people. He says, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing is this, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but in turn, uh, but, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today. And so in, in very simple terms, biblically, blessing, the blessing of God is when obedience to God's word happens. When we obey God, there's blessing that comes. That's what Deuteronomy is saying. That's what the Torah says. That's what the Lord gave down to Abraham and to his people. And this word cursing, it's, it's important to define it here because we have a, a, a different idea sometime of what cursing is. But in the Bible, a curse is very simple. The consequences of disobedience to God, which leads to pain. Obedience, blessing, which leads to flourishing, curse, the consequences of disobedience to God, which leads to pain. And, and, and this is very straightforward. It's rooted in a person's behavior, not in, a person, not in another person's words. So this is the, the principle that Jesus lays out for us is you reap what you sow, okay? Not sort of this, this humanistic view of cursing that we have where uh, a human is trying, attempting to put an omen on another person, which is what Balak has hired uh, Balaam to do, okay? That's, that's a different kind of thing. That, that assumes that in the world it's this sort of good versus evil in the sense of there's, an, there's a bad guy, there's a superhero, God's a superhero, and, and there's a question of whether God will win or not. No, 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 no. In, 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 the, in the cosmos, God is Lord sovereign over all entities. There's no doubt there's spiritual warfare. There's no, 
There's no doubt there is demonic um, activity in the world. You only have to read Ephesians 6 and you only have to live in this life to see those things happen. But, but in Christ and through Christ and because God is sovereign over all, everything is subjected to him. And so there's this really simple definition of blessing and curse that comes to us through the scripture. If you obey, you'll be blessed. And if you disobey, you, you will receive the curse of disobedience, the natural consequences of your sin. So the problem with this story is this. Israel has been disobeying. That's all they've been doing. That's been the cycle for the last 40 years. Over and over and over again, they constantly disobey. So how is it then, why is it then, that God in this moment would, through this pagan sorcerer, proclaim a blessing over the nation? They've broken the law. They've broken the law. And if you continue to read Balaam's third oracle, his third message here, we actually find the answer. Because in the middle of this third oracle in verse 7, we find that a picture of somebody who comes onto the scene. His king, speaking of Israel, shall be higher than Agag. That's higher than Balak and higher than the Moabites. And his kingdom shall be exalted. Balaam knows nothing of this nation and yet gets a vision of, from God of a king whose kingdom shall be exalted. And then we find in verse 8 that this king is actually going to be brought up out of Egypt. And we find that this king is going to crush the enemy and will rise up like a lion. And in verse 17 of chapter 24, if you go on a little further, you, we hear uh, Balaam saying, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. That means this is a king in the future. Verse 17, we find this king described as a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab. Does this sound anything like Genesis 3.15? That there would one day become, there would one day be sent a rescuer to crush Satan, to crush sin, to crush death? How does the curse become the blessing for Israel? How did the curse become a blessing for you and me? And this entire episode, in fact, the entire story of Numbers, and as we know, the entire story of Scripture is the most exquisite foreshadowing and story of how God will pour out his blessing to the nations, fulfilling his promise to Abram, to a people, despite their sin and their rebellion, he will bless them instead of cursing them. And do you know why? Because this king that's mentioned here, something happened to this king. Because there was another hill on whom one was cursed. There was another hill that was a place of sacrifice. There was another hill where God would speak through the sacrifice definitively, not a pagan sorcerer. And there was another hill where, where, where what man and the enemy intended for evil, God would use for his ultimate good. There was another hill where a man is paid money to betray another that he might be put to death. There is a hill where God himself would look down at Israel, and not only Israel, but the world in the valley, in their desperate rebellion. And God himself would receive the curse of our disobedience and sin. And as Galatians chapter 3 says, he would become a curse for us. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's the passage, just reiterating the passage we read in Deuteronomy. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. From the cursing hills flows the blessing to the valley. And this changes everything for us. When we start to get a vision that Balaam, that God gave to Balaam, can you imagine how this changes things? What if when you're in the valley of your own rebellion or experiencing the pain and hurt of somebody else's rebellion, can you imagine if we were a people, if we were a church who saw what Balaam saw? Can you imagine if we were a people who were so filled with the Holy Spirit who proclaimed, this is, a, this is the message of a person whose eyes have been opened, whose ears are open, who's falling down, whose eyes are uncovered. When you get that text from that person that's so frustrating, when you have that experience with that person in your life and they are just driving you crazy and you're so enraged at it, can you imagine that instead of wishing harm and hurt and curses on the person, we are like Balaam on the top of the hill. The enemy wants us to utter curses, but all we can utter out of our mouths over our neighbors and over our city and over the people who want to hurt us the most are blessings. Man, it's such a gift to have that person in my life as frustrated as he is sometimes because he carries in him the very grace and the image of the king and so I want to bless him, okay? It's such a gift to have her in my life. It's such a gift to have my son or my daughter in my life or my friend or my neighbor or my relative who drives me crazy, who lives in rebellion, who runs away and yet all I can see and all I want to do when I look at them, even in their rebellion, even as they act out and hurt me, is to bless them. Son and daughter, come here. I want to hold you and hug you and tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you. I bless you the co-worker who's irritating, can we see them as a person who's come through a season of rebellion and can mercy and love and empathy flow from our hearts to that person? How is this possible to the extent that we see ourselves deserving the position in the valley, to the extent that we see ourselves in the valley, to the extent that we see ourselves as utter rebels to the core? To the, to the extent that we see ourselves deserving the curse and the consequences of sin, but to the extent that we see Christ on the cross carrying the curse for us is the extent to which we will be able to live a life of radical blessing. It is the extent to which we will be able from the valley to see what is unfolding in the hills. I love how Psalm 121 says it. And this is a vision for us as we close here. May we be like the psalmist. May we be like Balaam. May we be like Israel in the valley looking up and seeing what God is doing in the hills, turning curses into blessings. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It sounds a little bit like a blessing that the Lord gave to Aaron for Israel in Numbers chapter 6, doesn't it? It's a picture of our lives lived under the king. The very next day after I got in that car accident, well, fender bender, I shouldn't call it a car accident, I was in the parking lot at Annapolis Middle School working on my sermon because at the time that was the only place I had only quiet space. I literally went to my car, pulled up, working on my message, and this family shows up in the parking lot and they were having a, a birthday party because they couldn't do it in, indoors because of physical distancing. And the grandfather, I'm assuming, he was an older gentleman, was in a car, and he started backing up, and I'm parked forward, and he starts backing up towards me. Uh, not behind me, but like uh, perpendicular to me. And he comes, and he's getting closer and closer. And I'm thinking, he's going to ram the, the side of my car, and he backs right up. He backs right into my car on the front left fender side. And I thought, wow, isn't this interesting? <laughs> the same thing happened to me the day before. And so I got out of my car, and I looked at his car, and then I looked at my car, and then I looked at his car, and then I looked at my car, and I said, are you good? And he said, I'm good. And I said that I'm good. And that was it. As God pours out his grace upon our lives, as he pours out his mercy, as he pours out blessing upon us in small and big ways, may we, in return, be advocates and conduits of his blessing to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for how you cannot be confined and how as soon as we think we have you figured out, you mysteriously break in and break through. Lord, it blows our imagination. It, it, it is mind-bending to think that in a moment where your people deserved, according to a biblical mandate, to receive the curse, the consequences of their sin, instead you use an unbelieving sorcerer to speak blessing over them. Would you radically reorient our hearts and our minds and our imagination that we would be honest and confess our rebellion to the core before you? And Lord, as we see ourselves as rebels who deserve the consequences of sin, Lord, seeing you take that upon yourself and offer us blessing in return, change us, transform us into that kind of a people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.